0: At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life.
1: Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Basketball Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. If one thinks about it, for tens of thousands of years, mankind's main needs were food and water. And to find sufficient food and water, we were active. We walked and ran, and sometimes for very long distances. It's only been a few generations where we've had refrigerated units in our homes, we can open a door and there are thousands of calories waiting for us. We can turn on a faucet and clean and safe water comes out. Additionally, with cars and escalators and elevators, moving walkways and food aggregated in supermarkets, we're able to function by getting from place to place with even less activity than what we've been exposed to for thousands of years. This ability to function without being active is felt to be a major driver of obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and subsequent heart disease, strokes, cancers, and other deaths. Getting a prescription for a medication is nothing new. Neither is getting your doctor's advice to exercise regularly. But what if that advice came in the form of an actual prescription? Today, we're going to talk about exercise prescriptions. It's a relatively new term that's gaining traction across disease states, from diabetes to osteoarthritis to depression to cancer. It's particularly applicable, as mentioned, to cardiovascular disease. I've got the perfect guest here to explain more about what exercise prescriptions are and how they're used. And that's Dr. Eli Friedman. Eli is the Medical Director of Sports Cardiology at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. Welcome to the podcast, Eli.
0: John, thanks so much. Really uh, always exciting to be with you in person and on the podcast. So thanks so much for having me back again. Well,
1: you've been a wonderful guest so far, so I'm not looking to put any pressure on you, but we're expecting a good dialogue here today as well. Um, always good with a level set before we start getting into the concept of exercise prescriptions and evaluating one's exercise abilities and needs. Um, but just a little bit again, what is sports cardiology? How would you define it as your in your medical directorship role in bringing this high level of skill towards our uh, system?
0: Yeah, so uh, perhaps maybe a little bit different theme than what we'll end up talking about today, but sports cardiology is the dedicated care of those who are already exercising and doing so pretty much at high levels. Uh, It's really anybody to whom sport and exercise is important. So that can be your weekend warriors, uh, certainly professional, amateur, sanctioned athletes, Olympic level athletes and beyond. So really, again, to anyone to whom exercise is important and then also their cardiovascular health as well.
1: But certainly, with that uh, experience and sub-sub and specialty and high-end performance in the cardiovascular space, you're also very well adapted at assessing general exercise and its benefits towards uh, medical and cardiovascular health, as well as, which is what we're going to talk about, um, how people can get started, what advice they can be given, and what are some of the pushbacks. So let's talk about exercise as medicine, this concept of various other medications we may give people, other lifestyle adjustments. Um, How is this concept evolving, and what's the kind of information that supports exercise and our physical activity as being part of our medical benefit, part of a a medical treatment, if you will, towards the treatment of, if not, avoiding um, a lot of disease states?
0: I I would hope at this time that it's pretty well established to to most people and to certainly those of us in healthcare that that exercise is a medicine. It's not even thought of as it could be, but in fact that it's fact that exercise certainly is medicine and it can help us to treat or manage many of these different conditions. And, and so in our space, in the cardiovascular space, and in yours in particular, cardiometabolic, I think we're all pretty comfortable at this point in time that those who engage regularly in exercise of any sort, and we'll get into those details, um, that it can help us to control our blood pressure, our blood glucoses, our cholesterol, Our body mass and and helps us to manage just the daily stressors of life a lot better than those who don't. So really, we, we need to be having these discussions on a daily basis with our patients. And as you alluded to, you know, as someone who works with athletes, particularly, I'm spending the majority of my day thinking of exercise on a personal level as well as a professional level.
1: So when we're assessing exercise for an individual as part of their medical evaluation, um, I guess we can put it into the category of someone who's not doing enough, someone who's doing enough, and maybe someone who, for various reasons of pleasure, might be doing more than enough. Where are we at now in defining enough? How do you approach and how are we moving towards approaching the individual's case towards how much activity should they do? And I guess the question would be, you know, is it 10,000 steps? Is it 150 minutes? How do we take these broad recommendations, but how do we apply them to an individual? Where where are we moving towards in in this area?
0: So I think you bring up a really good point, which is the individualization of all of this. So we don't want a one-size-fits-all policy for everybody because each individual is going to bring his or her own unique concerns and abilities to the exercise table so Number one, where I look to in terms of guidelines for exercising when we're writing that prescription that you mentioned is is what are our goals of exercise? And For the vast majority of people, it's going to be what we call 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week or 75 minutes of high intensity. So, Eli, break that down. How do you break that down? 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise would be, John, if you and I go for a walk and we're able to have a conversation amongst each other at that point in time, that, that we're able to answer in more yes or no's that I can ask you how the weather is, how's your family, and you can give me full sentences. Whether we're walking, cycling on an elliptical, whatever exercise we're choosing to do, we're conversational at that point. If we're trying to hit that that higher intensity, that 75 minutes that we mentioned, now we're at a point where we're huffing and puffing a little bit more and our answers really are yes or no at that point. Go ahead. You had a question.
1: No, no. I was going to follow up, um, um, which is what you just said. So 150 minutes per week is a broad broad recommendation but you sit with an individual you go over their blood pressure their cholesterol and sleep and all those other things and Mm -hmm. part of it is how much activity you do and we'll talk about again pushbacks in a second but 150 minutes per week could be 30 minutes five times a week it could be 50 minutes three times a week it could be 15 minutes in the morning 15 minutes in the evening five times a week right? So, right so that's a that's an added up accumulative type of um, a recommendation is that is that how you that's exactly
0: it? right yeah and, and that's how we want to break it down i think these sessions are best done and i think evidence would suggest as well that it's best if you do it in 20 or 30 minute sessions that really you don't want to do anything less than 20 minutes in terms of that sort of sustainable pace because that's where the cardiovascular benefits really start to kick in and you want to do it and make it sustainable that somebody who's really doing nothing and now is trying to get into exercise that perhaps doing 45 minutes consecutively is going to be able to, is going to limit them in their ability to do it further on so 20 30 minute sessions conversational breaking it down to reach that 150 minutes now again that's the goal for somebody who's doing nothing we just want to get them to start doing something and, and in your point initially when you said there are those who are doing nothing those who are doing something and those who may be overachievers it, the biggest health benefit we are going to find are going to be those whom we can get for who are doing nothing To doing something. And that's where a lot of these things sort of come from. That if you look at somebody who goes from doing absolutely nothing to hitting the health goals of exercise, that 150 minutes or 75 minutes, there will be a profound benefit. Now, if you get that person to then start running 5Ks or, and doing marathons or half marathons, yeah, th- there will be some tangibility in terms of their health benefit, but really where they're going to hit the sweet spot is going from doing nothing to something. And, and that's really the group that we want to focus the most on when we're talking about population-based sort of look at all of this to, get, to really improve health from the individual perspective as well as the population-based.
1: So, so let's dive into that group a little bit more and I and i and I appreciate you 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 bringing that to uh, the attention because part of that assessment is if we say, uh, you should be doing 150 minutes per week and someone's doing 140. Are they, Oh my God, I'm a failure. I can't do this. And of course the answer is no, that that's fantastic. And it's certainly better than nothing. So when you're meeting with a a, a, a patient and whatever the reason for their coming in and you're starting to discuss exercise and they have not incorporated regular activity into their lifestyle for reasons I mentioned in the introduction, we can function quite well without um, um, exercise. First, what, Clinical outcomes? Do you tie to the benefits of exercise? What's the the motivation in terms of what they will see, and in, in whether there are other medical components or other aspects of their of their
0: health? Yeah. So, so two points. to That number one, understanding why the person's in the office and, and what brought them there. What comorbidities or risk factors do they have? Do they have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, diabetes? Is there a family history? So, what what they bring to the table that way. Um, But then also, what are are their goals? Where are they trying to get to? And then you may say that, yes, we can function quite well because we have the refrigerator and and all these food delivery services and grocery delivery services. That's great. But I I would actually argue that we don't function so well if we are simply reliant on that because our bodies are meant to move. And and as you discussed very eloquently in the intro, we are a, a subgroup of species that has developed through movement, through exercise, through maybe not eating five meals per day, but by being hunters and gatherers. And I think our bodies want to move. So I would argue sort of against that, that the more we rely on things being brought to us, as opposed to us moving our bodies and getting out there and doing it, our bodies begin to function better the more that we do. So I think individualizing that within the context of what we just spoke about, individualizing what does the person bring to the table in terms of their risk factors? What are their goals in terms of their own health? And then also understanding maybe some of the limitations that society has on them. So do they have access to playgrounds and gyms and sidewalks, safe spaces to be able to do this within? Are they constrained by working two jobs and just trying to make ends meet? How can we work with individuals to bring exercise to them as opposed to just expecting them to go find exercise themselves? And this is an ongoing process, right? It's not just once and done here, go to 150 minutes, this needs to be part of an ongoing dialogue and discussion where we're helping patients to exercise and teaching them how to do a lot. Because for a lot of people, this will be something completely foreign to them and we have to help them with it.
1: So how how do you get started? You're sitting with a patient, like you said, of course, first assessment is why they're seeing you as a cardiologist, but it certainly applies towards primary care and and various other preventive services, family practice, et cetera. So part of the assessment is how much activity are you doing? Um, Mm -hmm. What should you be doing based on your medical, uh, your desires and your goals and your state? So what's the next step? How do you get people? Let me phrase that. How would you motivate people who have, you know, they'd like to exercise, they're tired. Like you said, they, they work two jobs. Yeah. How do you get them started? And again, part of that is the understanding that a little is better than nothing. So what, yeah. what are the kind of techniques you would use and what are the kind of uh, obstacles that you see that you would then um, get help them get past?
0: So I, I always try to set realistic expectations, number one, and, and those realistic expectations are a two-way street. What is it realistic for me to expect that the patient can do, and what is it realistic that the patient can expect that they can do for themselves? So in that example where somebody's working two jobs per week, trying to make ends meet and just trying to be as health-conscious as possible, I, I'm really asking for no more than 20 minutes three times a week. And, and frankly, that's what I'm asking for for most people who aren't doing anything to just go out and go for a walk, whether that's early in the morning, later at night, during lunchtime, their lunch break, where they can get out and just move their body for 20 minutes. That's sort of the starting point that I think is accessible for most people. As we sort of progress and go from there, yes, we would like to dial up the intensity to a certain respect and and the quantity as well, doing a little bit more. But again, I'm realistic with people and tell them that as you engage in more intense activity, it's going to be hard. It won't be easy at first. The first two to three weeks may be hard. You may notice your heart rate goes up. That may be uncomfortable. You may notice your breathing gets harder. That may be uncomfortable. And certainly we're we're counseling on the red flag signs and symptoms there. But it's really helping to be a partner in that exercise, making ourselves accessible and guiding them through what's accessible and available to them as they progress on their exercise journey.
1: On their medical conditions or, or, uh, if we will, objective um, um, physical conditions, which would um, change your approach to a patient?
0: A hundred percent. So, in, in our world, yes, we're worried about significant coronary artery blockage, blockages in the heart's arteries that could pose a risk to exercise, weak hearts that, that aren't as strong for various causes, uh, perhaps arrhythmias as well that could be exacerbated by getting out there and moving the body. So, again, our job to understand the individual in front of us and individualize their treatment plan in that respect. But being cardiologists, we can't forget about all the other issues out there, like the orthopedic issues, um, neurologic issues as well. And, and so, again, being part of a treatment plan and being part of a treatment team working with our colleagues in all these other spaces to to develop programs for these people to to help them and understanding that you know perhaps somebody with severe osteoarthritis maybe getting out in high impact exercise like walking or a bike may be hard maybe we need to do water aerobics in, in, in that sort of setting again working as part of the multidisciplinary team is very, very helpful and, and you know we do a good job of that at baptist i think
1: and then how how important, and this is kind of an open question, so I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot, but how important is positive reinforcement? How important is, you know, will the patient see something or should the patient expect to see something as they start this process? And and again, uh, I would think that part of the physician role is to review it and give them uh, positive reinforcement as they move forward towards yeah. instituting and, and escalating this. So how, how, how important do you find that as part of the
0: process? I, I think positive reinforcement is great. The reason why I'm smiling and laughing is because I remember a specific story when I was probably well, 13 is, or this 14. this is an audio
1: podcast. No, it is an audio podcast. So, no, audio podcast, so they, yeah, I've got a
0: face for radio, so it helps. But um, you know, when when I was 13 or 14, got out and started lifting for the first time, ever lifted a couple of weights, met up with a friend later and he said, Eli, do you feel bigger and stronger afterwards? I was like, yeah, I feel great but the reality was that nothing had happened yet at that point and and like anything it just takes time there are very few medicines we give that have an instantaneous impact that it takes time and it requires repetition over and over again so um, I, again setting realistic expectations for somebody who's not exercising and starting it may be hard for those first couple of weeks but we always hope that they catch that bug and begin to do it more and more that they begin to feel better and then we can tangibly show them things later on by showing them their cholesterol their blood glucoses their their blood pressures their weight and how it's really beyond a downward trajectory and that is complemented if not reinforced significantly by the benefits of the medicine of exercise.
1: I mean I really do see almost like we'll have a a, a booklet of offerings as part of the evaluation is okay let's talk about exercise how much do you how much are you doing or how much would you like to do what do you like doing walking rowing swimming etc and we actually give them a prescription with a a Uh, you know, a gradual increase, you know, every three times a week, start with five minutes, go to six minutes. And uh, I I don't, wouldn't you think that following something like that would be of great benefit? And that's something that we, uh, you know, are working towards, um, you know, in the cardiovascular space.
0: I, I definitely think so. And if you look at personal trainers, when they are working with their clients, they give workout plans, Well, we should be doing the same exact thing in our offices of, you know, setting the goals and then meeting again, how are you hitting these goals? How are you doing? And then, you know, setting new goals and constantly reevaluating. Same with what we do with medications on a regular basis. Are the medicines that we giving, are they treating the condition? Are they effective? If they are, great. Should we increase the dose? Should we decrease? Same thing with exercise, okay? Are, are we hitting the goals? Can we increase the intensity? Can we continue to squeeze more juice out of this fruit and, and get more benefit?
1: See, this is really exciting. And I think, you know, like I said, the superficial level is, yes, you should exercise. We all do that and we all know that, but really getting into a detail addressing it with the individual, customizing the recommendation, tailoring the, the specific um, uh, approach and 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 kind of exercise towards what they can benefit from and what they can tolerate is, is really very unique and, and appreciated. And I think, you know, one take home point, if, if none else is um, something is better than nothing. Uh, you don't have to jump into a marathon or a five k. It's just taking a, a few minute walk or even just doing some jumping jacks in your home or, or whatever is better than nothing. And people can start planning that. Um, great information. Um, any any final comments or anything you want to iterate? Uh, uh, reiterate or any thoughts that we didn't uh, we didn't touch on before we uh, yeah. before we wind yeah. up. Yeah,
0: one, one other point that I think is important here: exercise and being active is a is a really nice time to engage in a community, and you can do so hopefully outside in a safe place. We find ourselves here at the beginning of 2022 still locked uh, <clears throat> part of me within the world of COVID, and uh, you know trying to get outside and move our bodies more. And we we find ourselves perhaps ye- um, reeling for more community involvement and more interpersonal connections. Exercise is a great way to sort of reinforce that. Joining a walking group, joining a running group, a cycling group, it it doesn't even have to be anything intense. And and finding ways to make impacts throughout the community. What we've spoken about today is really improving one's physical health, but exercise improves one's mental health too. And the ability to connect across community-wide ranges in that respect is really broad. And maybe it's a time with family, friends to just reconnect. And those social connections that we can form through exercise especially, I think, have very positive impacts on our health as well.
1: Well said. As you mentioned, it's a, a psychological benefit as well as a physical benefit. And, you know, people just stop and pause and just spend a minute or two and think about what they can do. Call up your neighbor say, let's take a walk for five minutes. Get up five minutes earlier in your busy day and put that five minutes of exercise in, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, if you don't plan for it, it's not going to happen. But when you start recognizing its benefits and start putting it into your normal workflow and lifestyle, um, you'll be successful. So uh, great stuff. Thanks again for your expertise, your your passion towards making us all healthier uh, um, without the use of medications, <laughs> how many things help our our medical uh, give us medical benefit without a surgery or a pill? And exercise being um, one of them. So appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and uh, before we sign off to the listeners, again, we could really use your help and feedback. Uh, please take a moment to give this podcast a five star review on whichever platform you listen to us on. And if you have a comment or a suggestion for a future topic, email us at Baptist Health Talk at BaptistHealth.net. That's Baptist Health Talk at BaptistHealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and stay safe.
0: Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net/slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.